0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Two cards this week. Tim Wallach, card number
1: 560, and Tim Wallach's All-Star card, number 399. Tim Wallach was third baseman for the Montreal Expos. Au
0: contraire, mon ami. We also have a third card, which is the the Tim Wallach big card, number seven. Big Tim Wallach. We will get to that card as well and ignore my terrible French. But before that, we do have a piece of follow-up from last week's episode about Ron Karkavise.
1: We got a comment on Facebook from Domingo Ramos. Domingo Ramos, whose card is in the 1988 top set. He played for the Mariners and Cubs throughout his career. After I posted Ron Karkovice's beautiful card in the Baseball in the 80s Facebook group, Domingo said, a very good one defensively had a cannon. So anytime... We get a comment from a former player, particularly one in the 1988 top set, a Karkovice Contemporary. You know that we got to say it. And Domingo has commented on a few of these. He often chimes in with his memories of some of these players.
0: And maybe we'll try to get him on the podcast one of these days to talk about his card. That would be fantastic. But now let's go to this week's card. And that is Tim Wallach. And why are we talking about Tim today?
1: When this episode drops, I will be in Montreal. And so we wanted to cover an Expos player. Always love to talk about Montreal and Les Expos. Tim Wallach. Back when this podcast was just a fever dream or (laughs) some kind of Lovecraftian nightmare, I went through the set and I was putting all the cards in my book, in my binder. And when I got to this Tim Wallach card, I had like a sense memory of pulling this Tim Wallach all-star card and just thinking it was so cool. I didn't know what Montreal was, but I thought that helmet just popped off that card and he had the light blue uniform and it just really, it made me like the Expos. Between Tim Wallach and Tim Raines, so two Tims, double Tim attack on the Expos in 1987, both having all-star cards, it really intrigued me as a kid. I watched the American League more than the National League, so I just kind of wondered, what what's the deal with these guys? What is, Mont- what is a Montreal? <laughs> but there's so much to this. Tim Wallach, National League All-Star, must have been amazing. He got two cards in the set, plus the big card, and he was quite good. Not quite Hall of Fame good, but very good for a long career. And there is a guy on Twitter, at 29Collector, and he's trying to collect every, not one of each, Literally every Tim Wallach card. (laughs) I don't know if he's going to like come to my house and take these, but we'll link to his Twitter and his blog and listeners should send him their extra Tim Wallach cards. There's also a Saber bio by Norm King this week. Norm wrote many Saber bios, including a couple we've used, Phil Garner and Eric Davis. So thank you, Norm, for your hard work and dedication to the Saber bio project.
0: Yes, thank you, Norm. Let's go to the front of card 560. We'll start with the regular card first. And we have Tim, right-handed batter. No batting gloves, just like Ron Oster. And while it looks like he's put a ball into right field, he's got the really nice-looking white Expos uniform. I know you prefer the blues, but this white is a really good one with the blue and red trim. And... Just love the Expos batting helmet even has the tricolors.
1: The pinwheel hat. I think that was something that made me think like Montreal must be a different place. They have pinwheel batting helmets. Who does that? But this card, when I pulled this card out of the book, it was right next to a White Sox player. And both the Expos and the White Sox have this weird green color scheme just looks so strange. But Tim looks good. Clearly a doubles hitter. That is clearly a double that he hit there.
0: (laughs) No doubt about it. Now flipping to the back of 560, and we have Tim Wallach, third baseman. Height 6'3", weight 200. Right-handed batter and thrower. Drafted by the Expos in the first round, 1979. Born September 14th, 1957 in Huntington Park, California. With a home in Tustin, California.
1: So, Matt, I, you know... Yeah. I made a mistake here. I was going to talk about how Tim was born, where Kevin Elster went to high school, but actually, Tim was born in Huntington Park, which is not in the OC, which is in Los Angeles County, and is home of Slayer.
0: Yes.
1: However, this
0: changes everything. <laughs> this, changes everything. this changes everything.
1: However, Tim didn't uh, didn't grow up in Huntington Park, California. He grew up in nearby Tustin, and we talked about Tustin, home of Mark Grace. Tim went to nearby University High School in Irvine, California, which is consistently one of the best rated high schools in the United States. Alumni include Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine, Shar Pordanish, the first Iranian player in the NFL, comedian and sometimes a baseball player for every team on the same day, Will Ferrell, and Sudhir Venkatesh. Sudhir Venkatesh is a sociologist and urban ethnographer. I first heard of his work in Freakonomics. He wrote a book called American Projects about the history of the Robert Taylor Homes, which is the housing project that used to sit across the highway from Comiskey Park in Chicago. He also wrote a book about the life of gang members in Chicago called Gang Leader for a Day. When he was a student at the University of Chicago, he went initially to give a survey to gang members in the Robert Taylor homes. And instead they invited him to hang out and tag along with them while he was doing his research. And it's a really a fascinating premise. And the book delves into poverty, gangs, drug use and the underground economy of the Chicago projects. While at university high school, Tim played two years of varsity ball. His high school coach, Ken Trader said, Tim was a coach's dream, a team player, humble, polite, unassuming, dedicated, and very hardworking. And along with his good personality, sparkling all-American boy attitude here, he also had some some pretty good skills on the field, and he volunteered as a Little League umpire. What a guy. Tim was also very confident in his abilities, so confident that he was ready to go pro out of high school. The only problem there is nobody drafted him
0: that's going to throw a wrench into those plans so same problem
1: he, you and i had we were ready I know. to go See,
0: <laughs> i was ready i was planning to go pro but no one wanted to draft me either so like me he decided to go to college uh he went to saddleback community college in mission viejo which is where mark grace also got his college start and after two years he transferred to cal state fullerton And at this point, he is just amazing. He was playing first base at this time. He had 394 with 16 home runs and 80 RBIs while slugging 715 in 1978. And those were all single season school records for him. And it earned his team a spot in the NCAA regional championship, but they didn't make it to the College World Series that year. And at the end of the season, the Angels drafted Tim after that big season in the eighth round but they couldn't agree on a signing bonus. So he goes back for
1: a senior season, and it's a good thing that he did, as his value would increase. But first, he played in the Alaska League, where his teammates were Terry Francona, Ed Vandenberg, and Tim Leary on the Alaska Gold Panners. And Wallach was the team MVP. He then goes back for a senior season at Cal State Fullerton. And, you know, a little bit of a senior slump here. His average was down two points. He mm-hmm. hit three ninety-two. But he broke his own school records with 20 homers, 102 RBI, and the Titans went 60-14-1 and won the College World Series title. We discussed this College World Series in the Kevin McReynolds episode because they beat the Arkansas Razorbacks with McReynolds and Johnny Ray. Wallach's teammate, Tony Hudson, was the mop, the most outstanding player. Tim won the Golden Spikes Award as the top amateur player that year.
0: And that top performance... Got him picked in the first round. He was 10th overall, right behind Steve Bouchelle, and four spots after Andy Van Slyke. There were lots of football players in this draft. Future NFL quarterbacks, future NFL quarterback Jay Schroeder was the number three pick. Dan Marino, some guy named Dan Marino. Steve Bouchel's roommate, John Elway. Also future Seahawk running back, Kurt Warner. And the throw-in Samoan, Jack Thompson.
1: A lot of NFL players. Yeah, Dan Marino, future Isotoner Gloves spokesman, and I guess a baseball player. And that does take us to the fun fact on the card.
0: Yeah, this way to the clubhouse that Tim signed as a first-round draft selection with the Montreal Expos, June 20th, 1979, by scout Jack Pepke. Jack Pepke was a two-way player in the minors, so long before
1: Shoei Otani, Jack Pepke was... Playing both catcher and pitcher in the Dodgers and Pirates organizations, Jack passed away in 2014 at the age of 92. Wallach signed a $77,500 signing bonus and went straight to A Memphis, where he hit 327 with 18 homers and 51 RBIs in only 75 games. That's an OPS of 1.048. So he really started strong.
0: In 1980, he started at AAA Denver and had an outstanding season there. Denver won 92 games. It also helped that Wallach was there with Tim Raines and Randy Bass, who you might remember from the Keith Comstock episode, unleashing a curse on a Japanese baseball team. Reigns hit 354 with 77 steals that year, and Randy Bass hit 333 with 37 homers. And Wallach hit 36 home runs. This lineup is incredible 281 with 124 RBIs. And this earns Wallach a call up to the big leagues. He's only 22 years old, and this takes us to the fun fact on the back of the big card. Whoa. So, on the back of the big card, number seven, where we have Timothy Charles Wallach. We get his middle name is given it has a three-paneled fun fact which is that tim hit a home run in his first pro plate appearance and it has an illustration of tim hitting the home run and saying well look at that and then in the second panel it says he belted a home run in his first big league at bat and the illustration says hey this is easy and then finally in the third panel it says Enjoys playing racquetball in offseason. So I didn't have that he hit a
1: home run in his first pro plate appearance. So that must have been at Double A Memphis. You know, they the Topps Corporation on those big cards had better fun fact skills
0: than they did on the regular set. They really saved the research department for the, the big cards. Well look at that. But yes, so September 6, 1980, Wallach comes in as a defensive replacement in left field, and his first plate appearance He walks. In his second plate appearance, which was his first at bat, he hits a home run and appeared in five games that season, hitting 182, but still still at 22 years old, making an impression on his very first game.
1: His first full season in the majors was the strike-shortened 1981 season. He played significantly, appearing in 71 games at right field, left field, third base, first base... He hit 236 on the season but made the playoff roster. He played in four games in the NLDS and one of the NLCS, going one for five with a double. But he also had four walks in his limited playing time. The Expos saw enough to trade starting third baseman Larry Parrish to the Rangers in exchange for scoop Al Oliver. So the third base job going into 1982
0: was Tim's to lose. He had a great season that year, hit 268, 28 home runs, and drove in 97 runs. I was surprised looking at that
1: stat line, 268, 28 home runs, drives in 97, and he didn't make an All-Star game that year. At the break, Wallach had 11 home runs, so he really turned on the power in the second half of the season. But unfortunately for him, and this would be a theme of his career and maybe why we remember some other third baseman better than Tim Wallach, Mike Schmidt was... Not going to be dislodged as the starting third baseman for the National League All-Star team. And Bob Horner that year was hitting 295 with 18 homers at the break. The third third baseman was Ray Knight. He's hitting 317, but I think he was the Astros' only All-Star that year. So Tim Wallach doesn't get a spot in the All-Star game. He had a good season, but he also had 23 errors, which was third highest in the National League, but he also led the league in putouts and was fifth in assists and third in double plays, so showing some pretty good defense, but had a little bit of growing to do.
0: The next four seasons, 1983 through 86, on the offensive side of the game, Wallach was pretty good. Over that stretch, he hit 253 and averaged 19 home runs a season, plus 29 doubles and 74 RBIs. Wallach was named to his first All-Star Game in 1984 and made a second one in 1985. And the 1985 All-Star Game, we would be remiss if we didn't comment on Vin Scully in the booth. RIP Vin, losing him this month has, you know, made us reflect on the mark that Vin Scully has left on the game. So we really wanted to put in some audio here of him commenting about Tim's first at bat.
1: Tim Wallach. We'll be coming up now. Remember, Wallach took over a third for Greg Nettles. And Bly and Fisk getting their sign squared away.
0: Wallach had one of
1: those great moments. He had a home run, his first major league at bat. That was way back in 1980. Two down in the fifth inning, two to one national. 4-1.
0: Wallach was a member of Cal State Fulton's NCAA champions of 1979. He was the college player of the year that year.
1: Oh, yeah, he's got all kinds of tools. Montreal just waiting for him to really explode, and this has been a down year for him in power. Strawberry goes, and it's whacked down the left field line. Fair ball. Kangaroos up into the seats, and let's see, they'll send Strawberry back to third.
0: So Tim Wallach drills it in the left field corner, and the Nationals have runners at second and third with two out. This play has everything we want, David. It's got Bert Blylevin on the mound. It's got Daryl Strawberry on the base paths. It's got Tim Wallach hitting a ground rule double, and then Wallach being driven in by Ozzy Virgil, and all of it commentated by Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola. This, these are the sweet sounds we remember.
1: And they talk all about Wallach's background, winning the College World Series, hitting his first home run and his first at-bat, and as you said, a ground rule double to left field, which is, if you look at the back of Tim Wallach's card, a ton of doubles, pretty much could be expected from him. Vin also said that the Expos were waiting for Wallach to put it all together. And this is a guy already in his second All-Star game in 1985. But Wallach really did put it all together right around this time. And that was thanks to Expos coach Bill Mazarowski, who worked with Tim on his defense and his range and arm improved. He ends up leading the league in put-outs four straight seasons and assists in 1984 and 85. And he had two of the best third base defensive war seasons of the 1980s, 2.3 defensive war in 1984, and 3.0 in 1985, which was the second best of the decade. This led to Tim's first gold glove in 1985, breaking up Mike Schmidt's nine-year run. So 1985, just to prove Vin Scully prophetic, Wallach was recognized for putting it all together with a gold glove, silver slugger, and an all-star appearance. Meanwhile, the Expos were right around 500 for much of the stretch. In
0: 1986, Tim's average dropped a little bit to 233. He had some injury issues, including a chipped left ankle. Sounds painful. And so the Expos were kind of thinking that to maybe deal Wallach to the Cardinals around this time, but the deal did not go through. And lucky for them, it didn't, because 1987 was a big, big year. Wallach earns himself a second card in that All-Star card. And we need to go to the front of this card, David.
1: We got the bright yellow background, which I don't love. But in this case, with the light blue diamond, and then the light blue Expos uniform, it really pops off of that yellow background. So we have Tim Wallach, National League All-Star, third base, with the pinwheel batting helmet on the card it looks good it's a good look
0: looks very very good flip to the back of 399 and we have an all-star card where the guy on the front of the card is actually on the back of the card sometimes in the team leaders we have team leaders on the front who aren't on the back in any way so at least in this one we have the 1987 National League leaders in game-winning RBIs, a really critical statistical category. And Tim Wallach's there, tied for first place with 16. This
1: stat was only used between 1980 and 1988 because it was stupid. <laughs> it, it didn't really tell you anything. It was probably supposed to tell you who was a clutch player, who, who got the game-winning RBI. And a lot of these guys are great players. You know, Bill Doran's on there. <laughs> Gerald Perry's <laughs> on there. All of our favorites. Gerald Perry had 12 game-winning RBIs. Andre Dawson, Howard Johnson, Dave Parker, and Tim Wallach tied for the league lead. But all this really tells you is who got an RBI and then their team didn't relinquish the lead. If you hit a leadoff home run, your team goes up one to nothing. They continue to score. Even if the other team scores one run you still get the game-winning RBI for that lead-off home run. It makes no sense at all. So by 1988, I think everybody realized the stat doesn't really make sense. It doesn't tell us anything. It, ha- it just so happens that all the guys who had a lot of RBIs also had an RBI that put their team ahead for good. But it, it, it wasn't like who put the team ahead with the winning margin
0: that is stupid. Luckily, the front of the car looks good because the back of the car doesn't, doesn't look good at all.
1: Well, and thankfully, after 1988, we don't have to worry about this anymore. I think as a kid, I thought this meant, like, walk-off runs. And I was like, yeah, mm. Andre Dawson won 16 games. Turns out the Cubs, like, barely won 16 games in 1987. Ouch. Sorry. There's another very good fun fact.
0: Oh, yeah. Then there is a good fun it's fact. It's very small Linger. writing, though. It is. I've got to zoom in to 200%. Tim Wallach, all-star third baseman, registered his 114th RBI of the season, September 19th, 1987, to set new Expo club record. His 42 doubles in 1987 represented his career high and topped both leagues. Great fun fact. Good job, Tops Corporation. That's
1: a good fun fact. That's a fun fact that should have been on the back of the regular card, but instead they saved it for the All-Star card. And unlike some other guys in this set, Wallach actually made the 1987 All-Star team. He and the Expos had an amazing season, made even more amazing by the absence of Tim Raines for the first 21 games of the season, and the fact that they had lost Andre Dawson to free agency prior to that season. Andre Dawson, who would go on to be the league MVP. But that Tim Raines absence was a self-inflicted wound due to owner collusion that prevented Raines from testing free agency. While Raines was gone, the Expos were 8-13. So he finally rejoins the team, has an amazing run. And at the point in the season when Raines comes back, Wallach was hitting 286 with one home run and 11 RBIs. From May 2nd on, Wallach hit 300 with 25 homers and 112 RBIs. The team went 83-59 and over that stretch and finished with 91 wins. Four games behind the Cardinals. If only they hadn't had their best player sitting out the first month of the season, if they had flipped their April record to 13-8, and they would have won the division.
0: C'est la vie. Quel tragique.
1: See, I'm still mad about it. Yeah, so mad. I'm gonna go. But I'm gonna be Wallach... in Montreal, and I'm just gonna be like, "Remember, do you remember <laughs> this, guys?"
0: Yeah. If you if you break into songs from Les Mis, please videotape those. We would like to see that. Wallach led the league in doubles with 42, as we just mentioned. It's also in black ink on the back of the 560. He set career highs for batting average at 298 average and 26 home runs, 123 RBIs was a franchise record, which is since been surpassed by Vlad Guerrero and Anthony Rendon.
1: Interesting note here, Wallach was a righty, and in his career, his slugging was slightly better versus lefties, as we would expect. But in 1987, he hit 25 of his home runs off of righties, slugged 100 points higher off righties in 1987 than off lefties. Only one was off a lefty, off Joe McGrain, who led the National League with the lowest home runs per nine innings that season. Another weird quirk from the 1988 Tops blog. Thank you, Andy, at High Heat Stats. Among players with 123 or more RBIs, Tim has the 30th lowest OPS plus at 121. So he really didn't walk much, which kept that OPS plus down low, considering his home run power and the number of doubles that he hit.
0: So all-star, silver slugger, and fourth in the MVP voting. And he finishes higher than Tim Raines, which is ridiculous. The voters were looking at RBI stats probably above anything else for the MVP. Sadly, after missing the playoffs that season in 1987, the Expos pretty much proceeded to fall into the depths of mediocrity. In 88 and 89, they were exactly 500.
1: And Wallach's production fell too during that stretch. Home runs, he hit 12 and 13. RBIs 69 and 77 after that 123 RBI season. He did win a second gold glove in 1988. He led the National League in doubles in 89 and made another all-star game. 1990, still around 500, and Tim's agent starts talking and ends up getting Tim into hot water claiming that he wants to renegotiate his contract to make as much money as teammate Andres Galarraga was making. Tim told reporters that they should just talk to him instead of his agent and there's clearly some miscommunication here, but it didn't impact his play on the field. He had a return to form, hit 296, 21 homers, 98 RBIs, 37 doubles, makes his fifth All-Star game and wins a third Gold Glove.
0: But that would be his last All-Star game in 1990 and his final Gold Glove. But after the years of work that he put in for the Expos, Tim was given a unique honor. He was made the first captain in Montreal Expos history. There's got to be a French phrase for this.
1: (laughs) Expos manager Buck Rogers said, this is an honor for a player. It's not a fictitious title. (laughs) Tim Wallach is the player for this ball club. He's proven himself on and off the field.
0: i disagree it actually is a fictitious title it carries no official responsibilities in the game but we'll leave that aside buck unfortunately in 1991 and 1992 Tim's seasons were disappointing and the expos were sliding as well they finished 71 and 91 last in the national league east and the only offensive stat of tim's that went up was strikeouts in 1991 100 strikeouts in 1991, up from 80 in 1990. Prior to 1992, the Expo's management trade away Andres Galarraga, and to replace him, they tried to move Tim to first base. And Tim said the first he was even asked about this was in January. The manager, Tom Runnels, asked him, and in true Bartleby the Scrivener fashion, said, I prefer not to. And a few weeks later, he gets
1: called in and, and is told, you're moving to first base, and he asked to be traded. <laughs> the experiment didn't go well. Tom Runnels, for his part, was fired on May 22nd. The team was 17-20. and 20. Felipe Alou came in, and Wallach was moved back to third. His offense was down that year. He hit only 224 with nine home runs. But after that experimentation, and it was clear that the Expos were trying to do things with Tim that he was not interested in, they traded him to the Dodgers for Tim Barker, Tim Barker never made it to the big leagues, topping out at AAA.
0: And as he left, Wallach was gracious to his former team. Quote, I know they want to win. They want to win at a lower price, and I can't see anything wrong with that. (laughs) That's backhanded praise.
1: He was being nice. I think a lot of his quotes, he comes off as not trying to rock the boat.
0: Wallach's first year in L.A. showed... A further offensive decline, he hit only two twenty-two with nine home runs. This was his worst season as a pro. He's 35 years old. He puts in a season where he's valued at negative one war. And even his normally stellar defense was below average. So you might think that this is the part of the story where he, he hangs him up.
1: He's got a couple seasons left. The strike-shortened 1994 season was a renaissance for tim he hit 280 23 homers and 78 rbis a career best 127 ops plus he earned mvp votes again finishing 18th that year then in 1995 he fell back down to earth 266 with nine home runs he got to play in the playoffs again for the first time since 1981 but he wasn't very productive he went one for 12 as the dodgers were swept in the nlds He was granted free agency after that season, signed with the Angels, but was released midseason. He re-signed with the Dodgers to close out, finished out the season, played again in the playoffs. Unfortunately, Tim and the Dodgers both put up a goose egg. Tim went 0 for 11, and the Dodgers were swept by
0: Atlanta. After that 1996 season, Tim retired, finally, at age 38. And closing the book on Tim Wallach, 17 seasons in the major leagues— 257 career average, 2,085 hits, 908 runs, 260 home runs, and 1,125 RBIs in 2,212 games. That's 11th all-time in games played at third base and 19th all-time in double plays turned. He made five all-star teams, three gold gloves, two silver sluggers. What about in retirement? Tim and his wife,
1: Lori, have three sons, Matt, Brett, and Chad. All three sons played baseball at a high level. Matt and Brett both played minor league ball. Brett pitched in the Cubs organization, while Matt was a catcher and first baseman in the Dodgers organization. Chad made the pros as a catcher and is currently on the Angels AAA team, but played at the big league level as recently as 2022. Tim went into coaching and held various roles, including as hitting coach for the Dodgers. He also served in the Dodgers minor league system, managing for a bit, including a stint with the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes, winning PCL Manager of the Year in 2009. In 2010, he was rumored as a possible manager, potentially for the Blue Jays, but instead he remained with the Dodgers, where he spent many years on Don Mattingly's staff as third base coach, later as a bench coach for the Dodgers. He then followed Donnie Baseball to Florida, where he was third base coach from 2015 to 2019. And in 2019, he stepped down from his role and he said, I think it's time for me to get back to the West Coast. I have four grandkids and it's just tough. It's been tough being far away. And that was 2019. As of 2022, he still retired. He still pays attention to baseball to follow Chad. But other than that, he said, I'm done with baseball. I'm just getting more and more grandkids, so I don't have enough time to coach. He's now up (laughs) to six grandkids. And he said, I'm playing golf and watching grandkids.
0: There you go. Without many all-star teams and gold gloves, did he get any Hall of Fame votes?
1: He did, if we're talking about the NCAA Baseball Hall of Fame. In 2011, he was inducted alongside Terry Francona and podcast favorite Oda B. McDowell. And in 2014, he was inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. As for the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame, he got one vote. And after that first ballot, he was off the ballot. His Hall of Stats score is only 65. Hmm. And I don't think he makes the cut, unfortunately. There's a few other guys in this set that probably should get consideration at third base. Guys like maybe Robin Ventura, Buddy Bell, Daryl Evans, guys that we'll talk about at a later date but unfortunately tim's peak was overshadowed by some other strong third baseman and he had some up and down seasons that kept him from being a household name and kept his career stats and his counting stats outside that hall line he does hold some expos records not nationals records unfortunately but he still holds a few of these expos records he was of course their first ever captain and when the Expos ceased to exist He was the leader in games played, hits, doubles, RBIs, and total bases, and his numbers do remain on the Nationals leaderboard as well, top 10 in a lot of offensive categories, as well as offensive and defensive wins above replacements and wins above replacement among position players. He still sits second in hits and total bases, top 10 in doubles, triples, homers, RBIs, and many, many more offensive statistics. From 1980 to 1990, Tim Wallach had the fifth highest wins above replacement of any third baseman. And this is where I say he doesn't quite hit that Hall of Fame mark. He was behind four Hall of Famers, Wade Boggs, Mike Schmidt, George Brett, and Paul Molitor. But even from the good seasons that we've talked about, he's still a pretty big step behind those guys on the offensive side of of the ball. Over that 11-year stretch from 1980 to 1990, in Defensive War, he is only behind Gary Gaetti. He was described by Bill James as a poor man's Brooks Robinson, to which Wallach said he'd take any comparison to Brooks Robinson. <laughs> However, after 1990, his value dropped a lot, and he was pretty much a replacement-level player his final six seasons, with the exception of the strike year. If he had had another couple All-Star seasons or a few, and a few more solid years, it could have bolstered his Hall of Fame resume, but he still might have fallen into that David Wright, Robin Ventura territory, maybe just lying outside of the Hall of Fame. Recently, he was on a list of the five best Nationals slash Expos players not in the Hall of Fame, along with Jeff Reardon, Andre Galarraga, Moises Alou, and Marquise Grissom. So not quite Hall of Fame level players on that list, but Hall of very,
0: very good. So, not Cooperstown quality, but an interesting story still. And after having looked into him a little bit deeper, what do we think about him? This
1: Tim Wallach All-Star card meant a lot to me as a kid. It was really a striking card and a team that I hadn't really thought about. And as an adult, having traveled and visited Montreal, it's one of my favorite places to go. I didn't know a lot, really anything about Montreal as a kid, other than The Expos played there and the Canadiens played there. I wasn't alive for the 1976 Olympics. But those Olympics came at a a really pivotal time for the city. 1976 also marked the election of the party Quebecois, who supported separatism. And meanwhile, this threat of Quebec separatism led Anglophone businesses to leave Montreal for Toronto and other cities. And the city was saddled with the debt of building that Olympic stadium, which took 30-plus years to pay off. This is really a rough stretch in Montreal history. And Tim Wallach comes from California in 1980, probably also not knowing any of what he was walking into. He's just there to play baseball. And he's really diplomatic and a kind of go-along, get-along guy in a lot of his quotes, particularly about Olympic Stadium, which seemed to be in a perpetual state of construction. The tower of that stadium was not even completed until 1987, 15 years after they started building it. But Tim said the AstroTurf at different points in time was better than others. But you know what? (laughs) It was our home, and that's where we played. It would have been great to get a new ballpark and have grass on the field. But that's where we played, and I enjoyed playing there. That could not have been an easy place to play third base, but he played there, and he was great at it. He became a face of the Expos franchise, along with, at various times, Gary Carter, Andre Dawson, Steve Rogers, and Tim Raines. Two of those guys, Dawson and Raines, were victims of ownership collusion. Dawson left Montreal looking for a place to play on grass. Imagine if the Expos had been able to afford Dawson and Raines and to keep them playing in Montreal on a grass field. The seasons that Wallach, Raines, and Dawson had in 1987, that would have been A great team. And I think people think of Montreal and Montreal baseball fans as having given up on the team. The fun fact on the back of this all-star card is about when Tim Wallach broke the RBI record. And I looked and they had 33,000 people in the stadium in September of that year, because that was a team that was in contention. They were still just a couple games back, a couple games out of winning the NL East, but they just couldn't quite get over that hump and win a title. And when the Expos finally left Montreal, Tim was asked about the move, and he said, I feel bad because there were a lot of people who loved that team. It was good, and it should have been good for a long time. But it went bad, and now it will never be there again. And it makes me really sad that the Expos aren't a thing anymore because I love their hats, and I love Montreal, and would love to go see a baseball game there. But it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. There was that talk a couple years ago that maybe the team could split time between Florida and Montreal. That's just ridiculous. So we'll always have this Tim Wallach card and this beautiful pinwheel helmet. And there's at least one other person other than me who loved Tim Wallach and particularly these 1988 tops cards. And that's at29collector, the owner of that site, Corey Stackhouse, who wants all of your Tim Wallachs. All your Tim Wallachs are belong to Corey. Timwallach.blogspot.com. On that page, he goes through every Tim Wallack card that he has, and he has a count. And he also rates the cards. The All-Star card, he rated it a 9.9. He said it was one of his favorites. His mother had, had drawn a poster-sized version. He told me his counts are pretty up-to-date, and he has 895 of this card. So we could probably get him over 1,000 with our listeners. The base set card, he also gave a 9.9 and points out that this is the first year that Wallach was given a zero at the end of his number, signifying that he was finally a star player. He has 851 of the base Tim Wallach card. There's a disclaimer on the site that says, by viewing this page, you agree Wallach should be in the Hall of Fame. And we won't make the same claim <laughs> about listening to this podcast, but we support Corey in his Pokemon-esque effort of gotta catch him all, gotta catch him Wallach. Hmm, whatever, <laughs> with these Tim Wallacks. So you should go to his website and, and help him out with collecting Tim Wallack cards. But Tim Wallack, a very good player and always a nice reminder of Montreal, a place that I love.
0: That is quite an effort, and we applaud you, Corey Stackhouse, for your important work. Thank you again to Norm King, who wrote the Sabre bio. And thank you, David, for the story today. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever wanted to separate from Canada, we'd love to hear all about it on Twitter. We're at tops 1988 Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.